It is a weekend of ascension and seawater. Your face still haunts me. She shows her face and all I see is love. The beacon of my heart is governed by mysterious drowning things. Even her laughing, serious, fighting sonnet movements. Once there was an eastern frontier at the Eastern Cape. This is the coffee table. So, guys, we are joined today in studio. Uh, oh, we're in Galvindale. We're not in studio. We're not in our normal location. Uh, we are joined by writer, poet, bloggist. Uh, she says she's into some cinema things. Uh, novelist. A lady of many hats, Abigail George. Hi, Abby. Hi. Hi, dude. <laughs> so, um, good morning. Good morning. It's actually morning, yes. Uh, Zomzi? Hey, Abigail, how are you? So, what I want to know is where are we with where you've been, what you're doing? That's that's ju- that's my general vibe. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, a small introduction is um, I was born and raised in the northern areas. Mm-hmm. I'm particularly proud of my roots and where I come from. Yes. My dad's background is from South End. My mother's actually from Johannesburg. Oh wow! But she came here on a trip on a visit um, to her cousin, and that's how they met. And my dad fell immediately in love with her. The dad's a, a pimp. The dad's a pimp. Ne? <laughs> he was like, ah, oh, that one. I'm bagging her. I don't know about that, but there are many ladies who got away. And he still want him some, somehow, you know, to have married them, to have okay. made that decision. But he chose my mother. Okay. So you said South End. Um, were you part of the group of people that were relocated from South End? Um, my 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 parents were, and the okay. my, not my parents, my my dad and his parents, and, parents. and his siblings were moved um, forcibly removed um, right. due to the promulgation of the Group Areas Act. Okay. And during um, that, everybody knows that it was a brutal time. It was an evil regime, apartheid, and um, forcibly removed to the. To this area, so yeah. Right. Wow, wow. Okay, so born, bred, currently being butted in the northern area. <laughs> in the northern area. <laughs> um. So, mm-hmm. how did you get into into writing? Well, um, you. I could say it's just a gift. It's mm-hmm. a blessing. I've always. Uh, I was my mother started. She's a teacher. So it started with writing my name, starting with writing my letters. She taught me all of that before I went to school. And then um, she started speech and drama with a lady called Miss Marjorie Gilby. And Miss Marjorie Gilby came all the way from England. And she actually taught at um, um, Collegiate. Oh, wow. Collegiate Primary which is a school my sister went to. Very nostalgic for me because I went to collegiate as well, the yeah. one high school. Yeah. And um, so Miss Marjorie Gilby, so I went um, to speech and drama lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she started me very, very young. I was, I was four, four and a half, and I was the only colored girl there. Everybody was white. So four, four and a half. Yeah. Now you, sorry, this is going to be a bit personal. Not, not by attitude. It's about me. My parents failed me, guys. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) My parents. My no, 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 no. Because I've got friends who were doing matric at sixteen, and I had to do it at eighteen. So. Well, the same thing happened with my dad. My dad finished school in matric when he was also sixteen. You see. Yeah, yeah. This was before they started this thing of kids have to be seven to do grade yes. one. It was like, if you... No, it was when they were still holding on to heights. Sorry, for those who are listening in, I am holding up my height hands because back then they used to scale you based on your height in terms of going in instead of your age. So if you were slightly taller than six, than five... At five, then you would go into school, hence those who finished earlier. And some of them, it was generally because they were really, really smart. That's a madness. No, guys, that's a mad- That's like genetics, bro. People are tall and people are short. Now you're, you're basing my intelligence based on my height? Yeah, that's what they used to do. Like, Banta Education used to do that to a lot of us. Well, okay, I didn't go to any. I studied, I studied, I did, um, I did actually Christian Corsten. And I didn't do in New Brighton. I came to Corsten at a, at a, at a crash, at an Anglican school crash okay. in Corsten. And then I moved to Alpha where I actually met Abigail and Abigail's family because I was at Alpha. Okay. And... It, it feels very full circle for me because I feel like I've come home for this interview. That's <laughs> true. That's, that's I've, a I've great literally, way to put it. Yes, I've come home for this interview because I've spent most of my younger afternoons in life in this house. And there's a great separation, I think, between the northern areas and Ekasi. Okay. Yeah. It's a, there's a great separation. I mean, still to this day, um, I would say that there's a lot of, um, separation, right? And people don't really know each other. Yes, yes. Um, okay, I'm gonna go slightly left because this is not where this conversation was, was meant, to, meant go. to go, but we're here now. So, anyways, um, there's a thing yeah. that uh, Vusitem Gwayo said uh, in one of these short clips of his that I've seen, and it's like apartheid one. The whole thing of separating people still stands. Till to this, this day. day. Yeah, to this day. You know, we, from Ekasi to here, the distance is probably less than 20 Ks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it could have been, it could be 20 countries away. Exactly. It's 20 countries away in with regards to, it's 20 Ks away in regards to mind mentality. Yeah. But the physicality and the reality is it's so much closer. And it's, again, the thing about borders. Yes. Um, we've created borders with a people that didn't have that for themselves and then thinking of each other. And those things have been entrenched. And it's not necessarily just apartheid. It's the idea of what colo- colonialism did. I mean, um, I've forgotten the guy, but there's a guy... 
a British guy, soldier or somebody who came, I think it was still in the 16, 16 it was either 1600 or the 1800s. And he has a, a, a thing that he says in British Caferia. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never met a people so organized. And if we were basically what he says, he's writing back to the queen telling her about what he's found. Mm. And he says the only way we'd be able to generally remove these people as if we remove them from the systems that they have. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. No, definitely. Definitely. We, I, again, this is not, this is not this the is direction. Not this is not, it just, anyways, we had civilization before yes. they came. Yes, that's true. They came and installed something else. Yes. And then called it civilization. But anyways, let's try and veer back to, 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 to where we are. are. So, um, yes, growing up in the northern areas, what was that like? Um, my parents tried to shelter us. I mean, they sheltered and protected us. Right. Like, like anything, because um, apartheid was brutal. It was a brutal regime. It was evil. Um, I was speaking to my dad um, yesterday, and I was going over this memory that I had. Um, okay, he took us out one Saturday afternoon. The whole family was in the car. My brother and sister were sitting next to me on the back seat, and he goes to this restaurant and they prepare the food and everything. And then we're sitting in the car at the beach. And um, I'm coming, I'm thinking I'm coming back to what we were talking about before. But this is so heavily entrenched in my mind. Yeah. It's like on the blueprint of my consciousness. I've never forgotten this. And I said, there's what, there was a swing next to the car. Mm-hmm. And then I said, Dad, can't I go and swing? And he said, no, you can't get out of the car. Because the sign, there was a sign that said... Um, Blacks no, are yeah, blacks not allowed. No mm-hmm. colors. Um, only non non Europeans. I don't know. There was something yeah. only that Europeans. only Europeans. And then he said, Abigail, if you get out of the car, you could be arrested. And then I just went silent, and the food turned into like this paste. I was just chewing, like a machine, basically. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't understand. I couldn't get my head around that. But that was just one of the memories that I had. But I have others as well. Um, my mother was an incredible influence in my life. Um, she bought me my first typewriter. Uh-huh. She typed out my first manuscript. I think I was 12 and I really, oh, wow. I, I wanted to submit this poetry manuscript to a competition, to a national competition. Okay. And it didn't place, of course, but just the love and the affection. And I think to this day, although it's a difficult mother-daughter relationship, it's Strain. It's a it's strange dynamics. Yes, it's got its own dynamics. Yes, but she's always she's always been my champion. She's yes. always believed in me. She says, "Right, Abigail, right." You know, she's basically always been there for me, my inspiration. Okay. Um, earlier, before we started um, recording, we had a smaller and a conversation, um, and you said you started writing at age eight. Yes, at at eight. My, I can't even remember what I was doing at age eight. <laughs> it happened. You're I mean, a bit of a weird one. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Gosia, I'm talking to the other people around 
Kutle, what were you doing at eight? That's not... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember what, what I was doing Amen. You walked right into that one. No, it's not walking into it. It's just for me, I I, I when I heard that, I was like, wow. I I love that for you. Right? I love it for you because there's the there's this narrative or or, or trope or whatever you want to whatever adjective you want to use about people finding their calling at, an, at a young age. Yeah. You know? but, but it comes at its own price, you know, because there was a lot of, I think, loneliness in childhood. Okay. And when you're a lonely child, you often feel like the outcast or the outsider and you have to um, make up for it. Okay. You have okay. to fulfill other people's expectations. But when you're on your own like that and you're experiencing loneliness, you only have your own expectations to live up to. Okay. And you want to feel special mm-hmm. and to be rewarded by, I suppose, people in authority around you. You want their acceptance Just, as yes. well mm-hmm. instead of your peers or your contemporaries. Right. Yeah. So this um, reminds me of a conversation I was having yesterday about... Um, being the smartest person, like amongst your peers, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Not saying that's the, okay. that's the thing yeah. here. But I need to do a quick ad break. We'll Sorry. Come we'll come back to the thought. Um, we're going to play you Mango Groove, special star, backed up by Lady Smith, Black Mombaza, and Dolly Parton. And I'm just trying to remember. Wow, thanks, dude. It's peace train. Um, But that's fine. Um, So with regards to, because we touched on culture in the northern areas, yes. Um, So what was it like growing up here? As much as you did touch on the experience Mm -hmm. uh, with regards to particular outing you yeah. had with your father but what was it like because i ha- i know the cassie experience mm-hmm. and mine um i want to I'm, I'm interested to see where we have parallels or overlap uh you did mention that you know your parents tried to shield you as much yes. as possible yes so that i don't know maybe no zombie you wouldn't be Sorry, I'm doing well. You wouldn't be the right person because you kind of grew up here. Um, I grew up. I grew up in. Okay, so I, I I kind of understand what you're saying about the protection because I grew up in Galvandale and I have relatives in Bloemendal. Right. And um, from my mom's side of the family, um, we've got. I really don't like this word of colored, but I'm going to use it because it's the only word. The so-called colors. Yes, the so-called colors. You know, and when we used to come here or come to Bloemendale and stayed on a Saturday, you wouldn't be able to go back at a particular time. If you were past curfew, you slept here, <laughs> you know, and 
And and when you're younger, sometimes it's it's very easy to 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 miss those dynamics or those nods because you're just hold up in the essence of what's been created for you to understand and to know. But when you're older, yes, the safety net, right? But when you're older, then you become like, hmm, it wasn't as safety as as, it actually was, as we thought it was. I think to to just clarify the question that I'm trying to ask, Mm -hmm. like, the stigma yeah around certain areas mm-hmm. you know um i for example went to primary school literally up the road parkside okay okay i was there from i think sub a till standard one or two mm-hmm. very short trip yeah um but there's that um as i said stigma or bad publicity around the northern areas being dangerous. You're actually bringing up another stigma for me that I've experienced in my own life that my dad has experienced um, with regards to mental health. Right. Because often when you're an isolated kid or you experience loneliness, you also experience a kind of depression Right. when you're not accepted by your peers and your contemporaries. So when my dad graduated at Rhodes, he actually met a Mr. Zimkulu Fatman Mm-hmm. A clinical psychologist from, I think he stays in Kodesi with his family. And okay. my father decided that he would that that would he would be his therapist, Mr. Zimkulu Fatman. Yeah. So there was always this openness and this honesty in the house about who who we who we would be friends with at school. Right. There yeah. wasn't any you know don't play with that kid and the K word and okay. all of that. So my dad gave that to us. And I don't think that a lot of parents allow that leeway with their children. I'm not sure if it's still happening today. You have nieces and things. I have two, but... I've got a lot. <laughs> I've got one coming. I've got a lot of, of, a lot of those kids. But I think what I'm going to touch on is um, we've got a lot of friends in Galvindale. Um, Galvin Park um, in the area. I mean, our doctor was Dr. Daniels, who doesn't live too far from here. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how we lived in apartheid and we were supposedly segregated, but we were so connected. But we never experienced it. And know? we were so connected because with, with the colored community, it always felt like home. There was no real big difference outside of what we were told was different. I cannot agree more. If if you had noticed, I, I touched my eyes in the realization that because, as I said, I went to Parkside, this I'm familiar, not my area of, yeah. of expertise, but uh, what you said that there was no... It, I never felt out of place. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that kind of feeling. You know, it was just like, oh, they're just... I never understood why you guys speak Afrikaans. Really? <laughs> really? Seriously. <laughs> My mother's Afrikaans, actually. She speaks oh, Afrikaans. Yeah, I never Not understood that, that. I was like, why did they choose Afrikaans? Like, 
of all the languages, guys, you could have you could have made up your own language. That was that was my that was your interest. Yes, that was my thing. Simply because, because um, I'm Kosa, we speak yeah. this Kosa at home, right? And it's a bilingual home, um, and I would assume the same for a lot of homes in this area. In the northern areas, would be bilingual, yeah. but primarily Afrikaans. And I was like, why Afrikaans? Like, so. But let's no, let's no. try. And okay, quickly, <laughs> we're we're gonna stay within this. This is very interesting um, that you mention that it's Afrikaans speaking very bilingual. You know, the craziest thing is um, my, one of my grandmothers, Mm -hmm. right? Um, She was as dark as they come. And now, you know, you get told we're coming to the... Yeah, dog. Yes, she was as dark as they come. (laughs) (laughs) I'm completely lost. She she was as dark as they come. Like she was like literally. um, And 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 again, it's that concept of we're coming to a colored community, and then I'm a fairly light skinned black person. I'm not extremely light skinned. But I'm not as dark as 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 Tyson Beck as your Tyson Beckfords, your Tay Diggs kind of dark. She was kind of that dark, you know. And she comes and she speaks complete Afrikaans, yeah. and you're like, okay, hmm. So it's not what I did thong, thought it was. I didn't think it. No, and 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 that's the. Thing that I think even kids now will experience is there's so many similarities in our communities that we think are, are far apart, but they're so near and dear mm-hmm. than yeah. we could actually perceive or were taught to perceive. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And and I mean, you know, and 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 my colored story is um, it was displacement. Because they were actually my my mom's cousins who were who got married to a, a colored guy, right. right? And she was Tosa, or they were they were Ngamazoch. Okay. But she's grown up here, and her kids don't speak an ounce of Isukos. <laughs> Interesting. You know. And, and and a lot of those communities, and I mean, I speak to a cousin of mine who's now living in Joburg, who grew up in Blumendal, and who's now doing his migration back into being African because their mom's family, Ngokamb, right? And, well, their grandfather, the grandmother was related to my mom's people. And he's saying it's 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 interesting because I have dreams and I'm black, and there are things that I'm receiving from that side that I now need to pay attention to as a as a male child in a space where I have I I identify as black, but in apartheid times, colored people didn't necessarily have to identify as black. I have a question for you mm-hmm. on this yeah. what you just said so 
we 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 said the current politically correct phrase is so so-called, so-called colored. Mm-hmm. How do colored people perceive themselves? That's a very interesting question. That's a good question because I believe most of the time um, a lot of young kids um, have yeah. a fractured identity of who they are. Right. They don't know where they come from, and it's like Zomzi said, this displacement theory. Right. Or displacement kind of syndrome, you know, who am I? Right. Where did I come from? And then usually they'll say, oh, um, some of my ancestors were Scottish or some of my ancestors, um, like for, for my example, my, my dad's, his, his, his grandfather came from St. Helena Island. Okay. And that meant that they were slave stock. Okay. Of slave stock. So they, there was intermarriages on the island. So if you go to the island today, you will actually come across a lot of Georges on the island. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they are white. Mm-hmm. They, from from the time that that island was inhabited by settlers or the, yeah. I'm not sure if it was Europeans or the, mm-hmm. the, the Dutch East India Company, but um, then... Interesting enough, also, there was somebody else on that island. Uh, I think Napoleon was exiled there. Okay. And um, King Sitsuayo. Okay. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of history on that island. There's a lot of history on that island. Yes. There's a lot of, like, an open discussion on who are you related to? Where where does your lineage come Come from? from. Who you you descended from? King Sitsuayo? Or are you related to perhaps... um, Napoleon... Yeah. Madness. Yeah. So um, that being said, that island would probably be the closest thing to representing the colored community. Community. Yes. The colored community. Trying to identify itself. Yeah, that that fractured identity, that broken kind of identity that you have inside you, the broken psyche that you have, you know, who, what, where, how, Mm. you know. And, and your conception and how you came to be and your personality, what you think about your intellectualism and, yeah, generally speaking. Do you, so do you think that on this topic mm-hmm. has, as well as the colored experience, has shaped or impacted how you write? It has. It has impacted me a great deal, especially I would say, looking at my mother, looking at my father, looking at their backgrounds and the language. My mother speaks Afrikaans. My, my father speaks Afrikaans. He speaks it fluently. Right. But I'm, I'm not that fluent in Afrikaans. But um, the language, English, but more or less, more, more coming back to my mother and right. Miss Gilby, Miss Marjorie Gilby. There was Sharon Rother, Linda Louise Swain. There was drama rehearsals. There was... All of that uh, and my voice because right. it, it's, I don't know. I was told once that, oh, do you come from Canada? Do what? you come from the UK? Do you come from Britain? No. This is I interesting. From, I come from Galvin Park. You know, I come from Galvindale. I, I was born and raised here. My mother is from Lady Smith. She was born on a farm. Her relatives actually. And you played Lady Smith, Black Mombazo. <laughs> You know, she she was um, raised on a farm, and she, her her relatives still live there in that area. Yeah. Amalian Stain, Colored okay. Storp, and mm-hmm. then on her side of the family, there could be German ancestry, right. uh, a German missionary who came to live in Amalian Stain. 
right? So there's all of that. The background and it's it's funny that you speak about um, you know accents mm-hmm. and how people pick it up. Yeah, I I I remember in sub A at Galvin um, at Alpha. Alpha. My sub A teacher used to when we have to read. Because I was an avid reader already. I could read, I could write. And every time we'd have reading in class, she'd be like, are you American? You must have come from America. And I'm like, I is not make sure because I'm black. I've always lived in South Africa. I don't know myself from outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's very interesting that um, when people are well-traveled or, you know, more or less you're not necessarily well-traveled, you've been born and bred in the northern areas, mm. but you don't sound as colored as the next of your kin. In, or the in, expectation. Or the expectation yeah. of the people around you. And it's interesting because I, I as I grow up, as I'm growing older, I'm realizing there's a thing called blood memory. Mm-hmm. And some of our nuances come from that. And listening to you speak about, um, you know, the different ethnicities that live within your, your, your DNA. It makes sense that you don't sound as 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 what is expected of the so-called colored culture but i always felt like they were putting a label on me and i didn't really like that label you know oh canada uk that's so far removed from my own life experience you know and it's like people putting on their their own their own blinkers or rose-colored glasses and they want to see what they want to see but then they also put you apart from the rest of the people mm, yes. that you want, the group that you want to so ardently belong to and not be not be an outcast from, not be yes. the outsider. And then they put you up, up front on a pedestal. And um, I remember, we're going to go to a break. A yeah. Moment, but I remembered where I left off. Okay. And I'd like to just finish that idea before my, my brain goes crazy. Um, so being, and, and it, it came up while you were speaking about how people will view you in rose colored uh, glasses and whatnot. Um, I was going to say something about being the smartest person in the room or perceived as the smartest person in the room. Um, the unfortunate thing about that is it makes connecting with other people tricky. Yes, yeah, almost definitely. At at certain points, it makes it difficult, but it definitely makes it tricky because, again, how you sound, and I I speak from personal experience, Mm -hmm. how I sound speaking English, there are certain people that are just enamored by my voice and my articulation, Mm -hmm. and they don't... They're not hearing what I'm saying. They yes. just they just love the way yeah. it flows. And then there's a, the, that assumption or, or whatever that 
yo, you must be super smart. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, you're just an average person. I think my dad also got that from his travels because he studied at London University. Right. Tra- he traveled over the continent. He had that opportunity. Um, where else? Just that the, there's a whole kind of enigma around the person. The, the, you, you have a different aura right. around you, you know, and people perceive your energy as being different. Mm-hmm. You're different, you know. But you're not. You're from here. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to go for an ad break. So uh, we will be having a small music break. Uh, we're going to be playing, what's the song? Show me, show me, show me. Or are you going to do it? You can do it. PJ Powers, The okay. World in Union. So PJ Powers, The World in Union, followed by uh, Sinesh Waymaker. And uh, we'll uh, see you after the break. And we're back from our ad break. Um, so, dude mentioned the songs that we had. Yes. And I just want to ask Abigail something. Um, you know, uh, uh, with your dad's history and your dad also um, being an educator, you mentioned earlier that your mom was a teacher. But strangely enough, I didn't hear you talk about your dad being a school principal and how that impacted you and the arts and just smiling out of background. Okay. Um, he took me everywhere with him um, as principal. Um, I remember they used to put on plays at uh, St. Thomas Hall yes. uh, or the auditorium there. And I, I always used to go with him and he'd um, watch, watch plays, watch the drama rehearsals. And I went with him to meetings I went with him when he, um, I went with him just, just everywhere. Okay. Yeah. So basically he introduced you to the arts. He did not in so many words. I would say my mother introduced me to the arts and okay. my dad. I would well, say, he perpetuated oh, oh, oh. The love. yes, he perpetuated <laughs> the love. That's perfectly said. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So. Um, you did mention earlier that your uh, this was off off camera. camera. We weren't. This was during the ad break. Um, you mentioned that your dad was published in a book about. Yes, he did that. He did. He wrote a trilogy. A trilogy. Uh, yeah, South End as we knew it, South End the aftermath, and South End the workbook. Okay. But unfortunately, it's been really difficult to get it into the curriculum. Okay. okay. So wait, wait, wait. I thought this was just maybe me. I thought it was just like a book. No. A coffee table book. It, a young Jay to read, not like curriculum, school wise. Um, well, he wanted to, he tried to do that, but unfortunately, it's there's so much um, red, red tape. tape. There's so much red tape surrounding that. Surrounding right. that. Wow. So, so this is an ongoing thing. Well, he, um, we are actually, me and my brother, putting together a biography of his. And okay. His memoirs, an autobiography. Right. Typing it up and putting together pictures from his archives um, from childhood and his school days and um, graduation pictures. It's actually quite wonderful to note um, the artistic line in your family and more the writing um and and i love how your brother there's a tapestry of involvement as well with your brother 
in terms of this love of archiving. I think that's what I'm going to call it. It's a love of archiving, possibly. Is your brother a writer by any chance? He does write. He does write. I've been wanting him to get together. He's For him to put together all his, his life experience in one book, he does have a journal. Okay. And he does write poetry. I shouldn't be saying that, but oh, he does. Oh, so you on just dropped off, a secret on, on Ambrose. On an OP. Ambrose is named after his dad. It's the most interesting thing. I've known these people all my life, right? right. The dad's name is Ambrose George. The son is Ambrose Jr. Um, there's Abigail and Ambronies. Abigail is the only one that didn't have a niece or Ambro in oh. it, but they're all an A. What's your mom's name, by the way? Her name is Herda. She's Afrikaans. Her mother so gave her that removed. name. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what was the story behind you guys all being named with this, an A? There's <laughs> no story behind that. I think um, Abigail means father's joy. And I think when they had the second daughter, then they decided to put the name with... Ambro, I, I don't know if my mother was expecting a boy. Okay. And then they just changed the last part of the name. To make Ambro, it sound a girl-ish. Yeah. Sounds like a very black thing to do. No. So tacky. No, it's it, actually, actually it's not. It's, it's a human thing. No, it's very Afrikaans. Very Afrikaans. And I'll say this because there's this, I've, I've come to come across a trend where they mm-hmm. do these combos of, Mom, dad's name. Um, there's a kid from a former uh, colleague of mine. Her name is Monique. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot what the father's name is. But the the combination of that name is Monray. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do do that. It's actually quite popular. Yes. To take the name from the, from the father and the, the mother and yes. mash it together. It's a love thing. Yes. Yeah. So their son's name is Monray. The combination of these two people. I'm telling you. Wow. Two piece. Just just a quick one. Um, we're gonna take a quick ad break and we're gonna play you I Love You Daddy by Ricardo and Angel Tongue by Nia Now. Okay, and we're back. So um we're still with uh Abigail George. Uh, one thing we forgot to do, guys, is Plug, yes, plug, yes, yes. I don't know how we got so far into the show without mentioning it, but uh, as you guys who do listen in know, we are sponsored by the Big Bag Blend, Big Bug which blend. is the big bag in the front. Coffee, delicious. Um, definitely, definitely support. It is a local PE brand. You'll find on our social, social pages. pages. Um, we'll, give we'll give you links to the Big Bug Blend. Mm-hmm. Um, once on YouTube, it will be in the description below. Mm-hmm. Now, and back we're in a family home. Yes, yes, we are in Galvindale in Miss Abigail's. Is it Miss? Is it Miss? Miss. Okay, Miss Abigail's uh, home. Um, now, and we've been provided with yes, no, the hospitality has been off the charts. It's been bananas. Oh, oh Kutle is yeah. happy. Kutle is making, making a come in, guys. 
He is our sound desk and Kuhle loves the grub. Every week we've got to try and find and do something that's going to keep him extremely happy and constantly here. <laughs> and as usual, Asanda Latla has uh, as our artistic curator, he makes everything look pretty so that we can do what we do in a beautiful setting. Oh, and for those who are watching, we've got a couple of books by, by Abigail. Um, I'm not sure grabbing. I'm going to grab a few just to give you titles so that you can check them out. We've got Of Smoke, Flesh and Bone, Poetry Against Depression by Abigail George. Um, okay, I'm going to lean in. I'm sorry. We have Feeding the Beasts, a poetry anthology by Abigail. And The Scholarship Girl, Life Writing, Abigail George. And I can tell you now, I'm going to be the silly girl who's going to do the interesting thing. The The picture on the last book that I read of, of, of her work is a picture of her sister, which is extremely interesting and very enticing. I would know this because I've known the sister for very long. So everybody else might not have picked it up. So now, now we get to the actual meat and bones, the actual work, right? How, how did you get to publishing? I, I do recall you mentioning that you started a company with your brother at yes. some point. Yeah. Um, that was years and years ago. Okay. Actually, uh, 10, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So just give us a, a rundown as to... It started uh, with applying for funding from the National Arts Council, okay. which I got for my very first book, which is a poetry, a poetry volume, a short, a short little book, poetry book, and um, that was Africa, Where Art Thou? Okay. And that started the ball rolling, and then I started. I went on to write uh, Feeding the Beasts. I have e-books that I've written. Very kindly, Thanos Kalamidas. He's a Greek, but he lives in Finland. Okay. And um, he, um, that's when I started publishing my work online. I think with him it started with AfricanWriter.com. And it started there with the editor was Sola Osofisan. And, um, yeah, a lot of my work's been published online. That's how it started. And then I just started to collect the work together in book form and... From there just took off. That's very interesting. And you're also an editor online, right? Yes. For the migrant, if I'm if I'm correct. Yeah, the migrant online. What's the migrant? The migrant online. It looks I've seen the website. It looks like a newspaper, but I think it's also some form of a blog. Um, not a blog. It's more more of a newspaper, a more of magazine, a newspaper, online magazine. magazine. Okay. Yeah. Filled with literature and poetry, but also up, it's kept up to date by Adewale Subowale. He's um he lives now in Canada. He's based in Canada. He lives and works there, and it was very exciting for me to come on board because he just in he just interviewed me, and um, after that, then it was he liked the interview very much, right. and it was a print interview. Usually, he does um recording Zoom recordings okay. kind of. Kind of those are the kind of interviews yes. he usually does. And then um, he asked me if I wanted to be editor, and I said yes. And we've been going, this is the second year. Okay. Not even wow. into the second year, but it's the second year that I've been editor. 
So I want to say something. In the middle of what you are saying, I'm like, we're sitting with, with, with big people here. You're a big person, man. You just play small. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I don't she's, know. She's definitely not a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, you're big people. I, you, you are very, you're a very humble soul. But as you are saying, unpacking the things, unpacking things, the things you do, I'm world. like, wow. Like, I shouldn't actually, I shouldn't, I don't know, I don't want to forget anybody that to, to thank, I have so many people to be thankful for. Right. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful to the universe for allowing me to be a writer to God. And um, it's, it's, I consider it a considerable gift right. and a blessing. Right. So you did mention, um, and I did touch on it, I think, at the beginning of my intro, uh, saying you do blogs, novels, and, 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 but you did mention about uh, film. Yeah, that's just a recent thing. I did study film at the Newtown Film and Television School. That was ages and ages ago. Right. But then I started um, thinking, why not? You know, why not write a screenplay? Why not pursue that again? And um, my, my ideas and my dreams and my goals were different. I was in my 20s and... Um, uh, when I was accepted and, and then I came home and then I, I just started writing after that and I just forgot the idea about being a producer and a director yeah. and actually when I was at the film school um, the the head of the head of the film department said no rather um, you, you're going to choose one occupation you're not going to do I mean it's it's what is it with 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 people in 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 I don't want to say positions of power, but people who teach. I was at a film school. I did performance. And my lecturer said, ah, maybe it's not for you, but maybe you're here to teach. Because obviously I, I came from a poetic mm. background. And the interesting thing that was mentioned to me by an actor who was my lecturer then at AFTA was... Maybe perhaps yours is to to showcase differently because how you view, they're privy to my writing because I sometimes use it as monologues, right? And they're like, the way you view the world is why you're here, which looking back, I understand it, but also you come full circle and more than anything, you can do film school however many years and graduate and not necessarily go into the industry and deviate. Mm. But I'm looking at myself now. I studied journalism as well, yeah. right? And I, I understand broadcast. And it's years later that I'm venturing into radio slash podcast, mm -hmm. which is coming full circle, which is what I feel when you are speaking about, about it for yourself is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because at that time I wasn't even thinking about writing books, being a novelist, being a po being a poet. Right. Yeah. It never even crossed my mind. Yeah. I I was gonna say one thing on the pick one part because that's where you left mm. off, mm -hmm. right? And for me, the one thing I wanted to say that people sometimes unintentionally put their own limitations. They project it yeah, onto, onto the people. people, yes. Yeah. 
because uh, I remember I came across something uh, where this guy says, you can do everything. You can't do it all at once, mm. but you can, you know, set aside six months to do this, a year to do that. Mm -hmm. And then in totality, you've done it, all of the things yeah. that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and from the sounds of it, as far as this conversation is going, that's what it looks like to me. Like the little things that you, as you said, you went there to film school, had no idea that you'd write poetry and publish and do yeah. that. And you've done that. And now you're at a place where you're like, oh, I actually want to go back into the film. Formal, yes. Yeah. And um, I've, I've come across a lot of people who supported, who've, who've actually supported that idea. Right. And um, Joe Perry, he's a producer in Johannesburg. Um, he started me out with comedy scripts, com okay. writing comedy. And um, he was actually quite a, a, a great encourager to me and to overcoming my fears and anxieties that I felt. Um, Mikhail Barry, Rafika Davis, uh, Shelley Barry, uh, and um, Flumela Matika as well okay. from Kariga. She's based in Cape Town now. But all of these filmmakers um, who are based in the Eastern Cape or come from the Eastern Cape, and I really believe that's that's where it's going to go. That's what's going to save us, right. our stories and telling and be, becoming storytellers and allowing that oral tradition of passing it down to our children, to families, um, that's going to raise us up out of the circumstances that we find in ourselves in these days. This is very interesting because unintentionally you've moved into my next question, which is how do you see your work um, as a writer and obviously now moving into film affecting in particular, you know, your immediate surroundings being the colored community, but also affecting South Africa in terms of broadening insights into particular narratives and i've never you know even when i started to write i never thought of writing for Af i uh, for writing for africa right yes but when i started to look at how other people perceived my writing and i started i think my work started to get an outlet more or less um from europe and from the States and from the UK, from all of those places. People who I thought were very far removed from me, but people want, but then I understood and I learned that people want to hear stories from Africa. They want right. to know about what is happening on the African continent, what the South African experience is like post-apartheid era, post-COVID right. era. And that was really important to me. I mean, it was Ex-President Tabu Mbeki who coined the term African Renaissance. Yes. And that's actually the title of my blog that um that you can find in on modern diplomacy okay. online. And um, that's what people want. They want the African Renaissance. They want to hear our stories. And we have to just keep on doing that. Keep on bringing it to the world, the world stage. Okay. Um, I want to add but I still have a question I want to ask, so I'll try and do both. Okay. So with regards to the published work that we have here, um, people that might be interested 
in getting a copy, whether it be a digital ebook or an actual mm-hmm. uh, hard copy. Uh, hard copy. How do they go about that? That's a very difficult. That I can answer that question, but the first three books of mine were published by my brother yeah. through Jumbeat Media. That's Africa. Where Art Thou, Feeding the Beasts, and Winter in Johannesburg. Okay. And those are all available on, they were published on CreateSpace, the Kindle format. Okay. On Amazon. And fortunately, they're out of print. Okay. <laughs> but oh, it's wow. a digital copy. Yeah, I'm like, huh? Out yeah, of I print. mean, out of print, but uh, yeah. So what you're, what you're effectively telling us is that for those of us who literally you want like a hard copy, co- copy we're unable to, to, to get those. Okay. Yeah, and then... But we can... Okay, so can I just coax you into maybe perhaps getting us a reprint somewhat, even if it's small batches? Yeah, I'm, I could look into that for you. Okay. I could look into that for you, okay. definitely. So you've heard it first on the coffee table, guys, that maybe perhaps in the near future we'll get the physical books. But um, it's interesting to note um, in in the land of, of the times, we've been, the last couple of shows, we've been talking to people who are never writers ever, um, but started writing on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, social media platforms, and we were talking about, you know, and it's amazing how now writers who prefer the texture of books have to move to digital. Yeah, you, there's no way you can compete. I beg to differ. I think that writers should look into traditional publishing. Okay. Um, I tried... Um, doing that, and I succeeded. Um, I wrote a book called Letter to Petra Dubarova. She's a. It was about a book about a poet writing to a poet, but a poet writing to a dead poet. Petra Dubarova really lived um, an iconic life. She was a Bulgarian poet, okay. and she committed suicide actually when she was sixteen. So there's again themes coming from my own life of mental wellness and depression and mental illness and, um, yeah, depression. Mm. And the necessity to speak and to... the necess- I guess um, we, we constantly have to remember that although people are gifted, they're also triggered and troubled. Um, personally. Yeah, we're all... I don't agree. I don't agree. Yes, you might not agree. I have, I have, I have my own thoughts. I'll, I'll... No, you'll add your thoughts. But we, we, where I'm going with this thought and, and conversation is we've also always got to remember that people are human first. Yes. And we've all got our experiences. And in our interactions with each other, we should try to be kinder, mm-hmm. more reciprocal or recipient or... Um, Definitely. Uh, um, I, I'm trying to find, there's a particular word that I want, but I'm not finding it. But we need to be in a space of receiving people as they are and not who we expect them to be. And also trying to get outside of ourselves in terms of what 
things should be like yes. or who people should be mm. and receive people as they come. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say, you basically, your closing statement saved your opening yes. line. Yes. Right? Because I was going to say, for me, I've always believed that there's a thin line between genius and madness. And the problem is when people are gifted in any particular way, um, how they're treated is is the biggest problem, more than the gift itself. Yeah. You know, because what what can happen is you can be a, a child that is musically gifted in a non-musical household. Yeah. And you become the black sheep, the pariah, because yeah. of this thing. Yeah. Because like coming back to the outsider part, coming back to the black sheep part, coming back to not fitting in. Yes. Not you feeling know, like you belong. Belong, yes. Um, and that is not something one would innately choose for themselves. No, you, you're right there. You're very right. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes the environment itself can be conducive but there are certain elements about it that aren't the best yeah. for whatever reason and this is i think it's it's part of the human condition we all have our internal issues and battles mm-hmm. and, and and we struggle with that and sometimes they bleed into other people yeah. unnecessarily that narrative yes um so one of the last questions that i have is Before you walk into that. Okay. Um, I would like to go to an ad break. Well, it's mandatory. Let me tell you, we're on XA Radio. And our ad break is moving. What's moving us into the ad break? We're so... Today, I'm a mess. No. no but it's okay. No. Um, we're going into Focalistic. And then... Cat and the King's Memory. Okay, so uh, we're back from our break. Uh, that was, what was that song? It was Memory. Memory by, by what is it going to, something in Kings. Cat and the Kings. Cat and the Kings. Yes. Also. No, not necessarily bad. The thing is. And fo- focalistic. And focalistic. The thing is, when we curate the music for the show, it is specific to whomever we're talking to. So some of the music, I it never heard a day in my life. I'm like, who is this? So yeah. it, it is. And this is the most, um, I, I'd li- I want you to know, like I think this is our most wide selection of, of, of and vast of music. Like it's very... I don't want to say it's eclectic because it's not eclectic, but it's 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 very it's different. different. Oh, that's that's from all the over, musical choice. All yes. yes, I think yeah. it comes from the film the film work I did when okay. I was a student, and we had to listen. One um one project we were given was to do um to put theme music to a piece of film. Yes. And I've always been listening to music and most of the music, some of it comes from my sister's background because she loved music. Oh. And that was the advent of MTV. I mean, when it was okay. introduced yeah. in South African television. Oh, that's lovely. 
Thank you so much for this because um, we we do want to try we theme yes. every week. <laughs> yes, we do curate it specifically. Yeah. Uh, for any people hearing the motorcycle, we do apologize. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> our sound uh, person is not happy, but. Uh, wrap, yes, wrapping up the, today's lovely conversation, I just have uh, two things to ask of you, Miss Abigail. Um, what advice would you give any aspiring um, artists, writer, poetry? Always and- believe in yourself. Always believe in yourself and stay true to who you are as a person. You are unique, you are original, you are special. And people want to hear your stories. Never forget that. People really want to hear your stories. They want to know who you are. Not the persona. They want to know the private person. The person that, yeah. Okay. And um, in closing, where can you get your books? books? Do you have anything Um, up and coming? Up and coming um, is a poetry anthology called Young Galaxies. Right. Um, which will be released hopefully either this year, at the end of this year or next year by Tendai Rhinos Munwaka, okay. his publishing company in Zimbabwe. Okay. Wow. My, like, you've got a lot of work out there. Yeah. I need, I need to Google you. I'm going to <laughs> Google you. I should have. I should have Googled you. Listen we to Pechadupur, Rover was actually published by an Australian publisher. Okay. Yeah, and that's basically, that's all available all over New Zealand and Australia in bookstores. Again, uh, we're sitting with big people. I told you. I said this. I said this and people were like, no. This is an small part. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, this is big people here. This is very yeah, big Yeah, no. Um... It's it's lovely to see, or rather to trace the dots, because you can know a person personally and still not know them at all. Yes. Um, I feel not at all. Um, I feel like with, in particular, this particular conversation we've had on the Sunday morning, um, we've transgressed and dotted T's, crossed I's, I don't know, or the other way around, I'm not sure, but um, it's beautiful to to have connected the tapestry that is Abigail George. Um, we've delved into who you are as a human, and we've also vastly looked at your work ethic and the things that you have done and which is quite inspiring that I hope that our listeners um, will take something home with them. And those who are aspirant writers, um, you know, whether it's film, whether it's music, because it's all writing, right, will be encouraged to go forth and prosper in the ideas that live in their spirits. That's wonderful. Thank you. Same uh, as we come to the end of today's show, uh, I'd like to thank all of the listeners, the people at home, uh, the Big Bug Blend as uh, the show sponsor. 
Miss Abigail for hosting us in her lovely home. Uh, Miss Abigail, again, for being such a great... Great sport. You, guys, you don't know. She's very uh, soft-spoken, anxious, like anybody would. I mean, I make it look easy. She makes it look easy, but... It's not. Time, it's a ball of it's nerves, not. guys. It's you a know, ball so um, it has been a lovely conversation. Um, as Lamdunga put it, tapestry has been woven. We hope people can reach out to Miss Abigail's website, see her works, uh, support local art. Um, and uh, we close today's show with Lucky Dube, uh, Feel Irie. And uh, I hope we all have a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful week moving forward. And we'd like to note that this was... The coffee table. I usually get that wrong. But you didn't wait for me this time. Okay, well, I'll try. You see, now he behaves. Take the flame out of my my triumph. He annoys the day. Anyways. But this. I'm Dude. This is Lamdungwa, Miss Abigail, and this was the The coffee coffee table. table.